0: What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, zigging and zagging. Big conference tournaments begin to heat up with a few more early round games added to the board. I've got plays for a handful of those, but first, we'll look back at last night and why we need to have a conversation about the narrative around Gonzaga. What's the reality behind what you'll be hearing about them as NCAA tournament noise gets louder and louder? Then it's Let's Do That Hockey. A pair of overtimes fall the wrong way for two big underdogs that would have made for a monster night. Two games in the north to break down for Wednesday. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. A little Don't Look Back in Anger here to start. Uh, Uneventful day yesterday. Four and three overall. uh, No bad beats derailing what was a profitable day. Two and one in the major conference that started the ACC. We get there, not easily necessarily, but with an outright win with Miami plus three, plus three and a half, depending on the number that you got there. That was a nice way to start big conference tournament week. You know, you never want to start behind the eight ball. Then Duke absolutely. Obliterates Boston College, and we're two and zero. Oh, and then Wake Forest puts together one of the more outlier. Uh, offensive performances of the season just hard to even believe what you're watching I even said at one point like I don't think Wake Forest even believes that this is happening um but kudos to them uh they don't end up winning the game because Notre Dame pulls off the sort of last second running almost half court shot to win the game cool moment for them probably will be lost to history as they lose to North Carolina or whomever they play if they're even to survive North Carolina in the next round um, from a half unit conference, you know, smaller conference tournament situation to split there. Oakland and Elon, not even close. Uh, Oral Roberts takes a 25 point halftime lead, gives it all away in the second half, only to end up victorious in the end. So that was a bit of a sweat, unless you had the early payout option. Um, over at Bet365 which is always a nice little bonus for betting over there if they take a 17 or 18 point lead in a basketball game and you have that team on the money line they cash that out early so you don't have to worry about a ridiculous comeback like what happened yesterday and then BYU um, absolutely shoots the lights out in the first half against Gonzaga and it was interesting to see Gonzaga get hit in the mouth with just singed nets from BYU and we always talk about like a game can be over at halftime maybe not in the case of Oral Roberts being up 25 points but a game can be over when a team shoots really well like that and you're sort of behind the eight ball the entire game and how do you react to that and you know fortunately for us BYU easily covers plus 14 and fortunately for Gonzaga right they get that test and it's not like they were way behind they're 12 13 points behind you know, going into that second half, and that's, you know, more than, an, you know, not nearly enough for them to have to necessarily worry, but, you know, you start getting the people talking, like, oh, will the loss be good for Gonzaga, and, like, oh, see what happens when they actually play a decent team, and, like, all of that kind of BS, and that's going to give us a chance here in a second to talk more about Gonzaga and the general narrative around them, but we have to get to picks first. Now, unfortunately, we had some uh, technical difficulties with getting the podcast recorded here this morning, um but you know wanted to get it done by noon or at least you know much earlier than noon so that Syracuse minus two could be announced on the podcast tweeted it out a little bit earlier put it into the app so hopefully that's available for for people and hopefully that wins because like I said yesterday with Miami it's like oh hopefully you get this in time but like only hopefully if you get it in time and it actually wins so if you didn't get it in time and it loses that's great too um as for some of the half unit plays in the conferences, before, uh, you know, in the smaller conferences before we get to the big six here that get rolling uh, even a little bit today, um, Iona minus one and a half in the uh, Metro. Uh, I can't believe I was on Iona yesterday. I don't know how I missed that. Um, but give me Iona minus one and a half for, you know, uh, Rick Patino's team hasn't played that much this season. Obviously, you know, he was sort of wondering whether they should play at all or, you know, bunch of sort of nonsense going on back and forth there but I think that's a team that's pretty good it's a team that every year does really well in the conference tournament and of course the seedings in that league don't mean anything at this point given the uh, seasons that they've had uh, and just not being able to play games Uh, Loyola Maryland plus two Santi Aldama will take our chances with him possible number one or at least sort of second round pick in the NBA best player in that league we think Loyola Maryland's going to have a little bit of a run here in the Patriot League and hopefully that starts today at plus two Uh, in the Conference USA plus four and a half Charlotte is the play for me there again half unit on that one and then finally Mountain West Uh, We'll get a little bit deeper, a little bit uh, into sort of, you know, big, uh, regular size unit bets, I should say, as it is still a pretty big tournament. But in the, this isn't even quarterfinals, in the first round here with some of the dregs of uh, Mountain West Society, We're going to just play Fresno minus eight and a half. And frankly, this is more about New Mexico than it is about Fresno. New Mexico, just a disaster of a team this season. So I think because they've played relatively close games with Fresno, a 10 point loss and a two point loss, we're getting a little bit of a discount here on Fresno minus eight and a half. As for the Big Six, so we're going to run through it. ACC talked about Syracuse. you know syracuse minus two the first play miami plus nine uh, against clemson that number's a little bit high for my liking you know maybe this is you know we saw the best of miami yesterday potentially but they have five guys who can play unfortunately for them they have only five guys who can play and so it can get ugly when they play duke or when they play florida state teams that can roll a bunch of guys at you speaking of duke you know the difference between Duke and some of these other teams and again this isn't sort of saying that they're good all of a sudden but like the depth of the program they're pulling guys off the bench like freshmen who look like Zion Williamson who are built like Zion Williamson out there who are just physically dominant now is that going to work against Louisville you know maybe but like why were not you know why wasn't why weren't these guys out there before, right? Why were they relying on the Jalen Johnsons of the world? And so um, I think the mo- momentum here for Duke is getting a little out of hand. This number's up to minus three for Duke. Give me Louisville plus the three. I know that physically, you know, if again, if Duke is rolling these guys out again and Malik Williams obviously out for Louisville Yeah, that could be an issue down low, but I still like Louisville and think Louisville's a better team even without Malik Williams. We'll see if I'm right. We're getting plus three here on a game that I think's a pick'em. That just is a bet that has to get made. Uh, North Carolina and Notre Dame. My number's eight for this. It's six and a half, but it's not enough for me to play on uh, North Carolina on the spread here because again, talked about it yesterday with Ted Ballantyne, I have the ACC champ here in North Carolina uh, as a one unit bet at plus 470. So I'm just going to let that ride. That's essentially acting as my bet here. If we get them into the next round, and now we're sort of starting to talk about pick'em type games here with, you know, either Louisville or Duke, you know, minus three, minus four, something along those lines then maybe we get back in uh, involved with the spread with north carolina but just not worth it if they win by you know five points or something along that those lines and losing a unit when we're already invested in north carolina so not going to bother there uh big east tournament gets started georgetown marquette i have this marquette minus one and a half it's three right now so it's- plus 3 same situation here with Louisville and Duke where it's like I'm getting a plus 3 on what I think is basically a pickem so I got to bet Georgetown. Uh Xavier and Butler is a pass for me. The requirement of Xavier either winning convincingly or Butler hanging in with a decent ish uh Xavier team uh just doesn't you know interest me in any way shape or form. Um Providence, you know, again, I have this number a little bit higher than minus 7, but I don't really want to trust Providence at this point. Um, That second half against Villanova was really pretty ugly earlier uh, this week, or over the weekend, I should say. So only one there in the Big East with Georgetown plus three there, just strictly a value play. Minnesota and Northwestern, I'm probably going to end up on Northwestern here. This one's a little bit different in that, you know, I have this game closer to Pickham but I just think that this Minnesota team is a corpse. Now, maybe Marcus Carr plays a lot better than he did the other day. So this is probably going to end up being a stay away. But I think I would lean to Northwestern if you absolutely had to bet something on this one. Um, and same deal, Nebraska and Penn State. I'd rather just wait for tomorrow's big you know, four-gamer slate here in the Big Ten to get involved. My number 6.5. It's 6.5, so there's nothing for me to play there. As for the Big 12, a little bit different. I like Kansas State uh in uh, in this one plus four was the open it's plus three and a half now so I think I'm on to something I would obviously like plus four more than I would like plus three and a half but I'd still take the plus three and a half my number here is TCU minus one so again a lot, a lot like some of these other games we're getting pick'em games where we're getting a full possession maybe even a little bit more on the point spread so I'll take those in, you know essentially those three games as a subset and see how it goes uh, Oklahoma and Iowa State uh, you know, on paper, Oklahoma should blow this team out. We have seen Iowa State hang in with Oklahoma this season. And I don't know that that means that we absolutely have to bet Iowa State here. But you know what? If we get 12, 12 and a half, that might be the situation that we find ourselves in. 11 and a half, uh, not ideal necessarily from a out of range standpoint pac 12 i need to know who's going to play here arizona state and washington state is isaac Bonton going to play for washington state is josh christopher is uh marcus bagley going to play for arizona state like is this what arizona state has been waiting for right like they've just been sneaky this whole time waiting for these <coughs> excuse me waiting for these guys to come back utah and washington this one is starting to have that smell. It's starting to have that smell of that game, that upset that happens. And it happens, I think, a lot in the Pac-12, where one big underdog pulls off this sort of first round upset and then gets absolutely trounced in the second round. I think that might be Washington. The numbers ticking up here, so might need to do a little research on who and if you know who might may or may not be playing. But at eight and a half here, I just think Washington's probably the right side stanford cal in a similar vein i don't know why stanford's only six point favorites like stanford minus six feels like a decent play whether or not oscar de silva plays uh I still think we gotta play Stanford. Uh Texan Am and Vandy, same sort of deal as the Arizona State, Washington State, really just more with Vandy. Dsu Pippen talked about them uh, you know out of the lineup a fair amount in the last bit of the season. Are they going to play? I made Texas and Am a favorite in this game. Vanderbilt is the favorite and a small one, minus one, minus one and a half. Um, that would indicate to me that those guys are going to play, but I think we got to find that out before we play Texas A&M, who is back two games from a COVID break, um, last week, pretty good first halves fell apart in the second half. You know, is that sort of a trend that's going to happen a third time or after a week of playing? Is that something that they've, you know, can iron out here after being off for what was like a month? Mountain West talked about that early on Uh, what I want to sort of add on here is we didn't get to the Mountain West or the American in the uh, futures markets with Ted yesterday because don't want to just keep it to the power six if you will the big six but these are sort of you know on the periphery of that with you know quality teams at the top certainly with the American and Houston and San Diego State is uh, is always interesting on a year-to-year basis uh, I think you're going to hear this a lot from a lot of people, so I don't think that this is, you know, news. But you know, the value here is on Colorado State. Colorado State plus three seventy five. If Utah State was plus three seventy five, I would say the same thing about them, and they are headed for a semifinal matchup. And so I just rather have the better price. On a team that I think is really well coached. I think it's probably, you know, I think you'll hear a lot of people say that they're a year away from being really interesting, as Colorado State is this sort of sleeping program that's going to get a lot better here in the near future. Um, On the top half of the bracket, Nevada at 20 to 1, I think is interesting because they've been playing a lot better. They have competed with San Diego State in both games that they've played. That's if they're able to beat Boise State. Now, the problem is, right? They're going to be underdogs to Boise State. They're going to be pretty big underdogs to San Diego State. They're going to be underdogs in their next game. You're going to be able to money line parlay this if you want to bet Nevada better than 20 to 1 in these three games. I'm pretty sure. Obviously, moving pieces, who knows? Like, maybe there's something crazy that happens and they end up a favorite in one of these games. I don't know. But my point is, is like, I'm looking to play Nevada as an underdog in every one of these games and just sort of ride that out and see how far we can get. And I mean that from a point spread standpoint, when will I start a little money line rollover parlay? Sure, I might as well do that as well. Uh, and then the American, um, Memphis is the, team that, the only team that can beat Houston, right? We saw that on Sunday. That game should have gone to overtime if it wasn't for the miracle half court you know, bank shot from Houston to win that game. And you're getting Memphis plus 550. I don't think they have any problem with ECU or UCF in the quarterfinal. And then it's just, okay, can they beat Houston? Am I saying that they're going to? No, but like at minus 130, minus 150, whatever, you you know, your book has Houston at, there just isn't value there, given that they've lost to Tulsa, they've lost to Memphis, and they've lost to Wichita, and they might have to beat all three of those teams. Could they do that? Sure. Is that a three-team parlay worth minus 130? No, it's not. Uh Tulsa at 50 to 1 would be sort of the like miracle way back underdog like let's see what happens type of thing. Again, they would have to hope that Houston goes 3 for 21, which I think is what they went for. Uh from 3 in the game that Tulsa won by one point back in like early January or December. Um that being said, at 50 to 1, you could throw a, a couple of bucks on that. You could throw 10 bucks on Memphis at plus 550 and at least you're interested i think in a couple of games in the bottom half of the bracket in the top half of the bracket wichita state cincinnati smu like none of these teams um i think have a remote chance to win obviously one of them has to get into the conference final it's just going to be a situation where they end up as eight nine ten point underdogs depending on who they play so that's the story with regards to those conferences as for our main segment today, I wanted to talk about Gonzaga, as I, as I briefly alluded to before, because obviously that game yesterday sort of sprouted the hot takes that we talked about, like, oh, yeah, is this good? Oh, like this team, like, oh, there's somebody's going to beat them in the in the tournament. And the answer to that is probably, I mean, and I say probably only because like, probably, right? Like the probability of based on their odds or based on sort of our just using our brain here is that you can make the statement like that, that Gonzaga is going to lose in the NCAA tournament and you're going to be right. You're gonna be right. What? 75% of the time, according to the uh, odds right now, like, you know, like tell me who they're going to lose to tell me what round exactly they're going to lose to. And then that's maybe a more, you know, uh, interesting uh, bet. That's a more interesting uh, thing to say, but to just say that they're going to lose is like, yeah, you're going to be right. A lot of the times and to look back and this is what we're going to do we're going to look back and sort of see you know is this narrative about gonzaga true right are they you know chokers do they quote-unquote never get it done because the idea of gonzaga right now it's like they're being treated like duke north carolina kansas you know fill in whatever team that you want right like the idea that like They've been around for 50 years and they've never gotten it done when like how many times were they supposed to win the national championship or that they were supposed to even make the final four and what happened to prevent that right and so where it starts obviously is 1999 right like when we all loved gonzaga right the elite eight dan munson coaching they've got casey calvary and was that Blake Stepp was he involved in that and there was a Santangelo and there was just you know what I mean like this team that was like really underwhelming physically we didn't know how to pronounce Gonzaga um I don't know that we still you know we do even now uh we didn't know where they were located like what is is Gonzaga a place or is it a human like is it a dog you know we don't really know and they make the Elite Eight and it's awesome like what a great run like for those of a certain age who were sort of in high school and you know not getting our first necessarily taste of the tournament but our sort of best right our best taste of the tournament like that was really awesome and so Monson as coaches often do right we see it every year you know you win a game in the tournament or you have a good run in the tournament and then you get out of dodge for a bigger deal we see that when guys win one game right we see that all the time we've seen that with brad underwood like a guy that we really like with illinois you know he did it with Stephen f austin they win one game they you know lose in the last second to notre dame and he's out of there right he's out of there he goes to oklahoma state for a year and then who knows what's going on over there and he moves on to illinois after one season and now he's you know got a one seed style team here again really good coach monson tries to do that it doesn't work out for him but who gets promoted his assistant Mark Few and in the first season after Monson leaves sweet 16 as a 10 seed Sweet 16 as a 12 seed the year after that. And now it's just like, yeah, Gonzaga, like three straight Sweet 16s and Elite 8 in there. Like, watch out for this team. And then you get into, you know, different schools and other teams not wanting to schedule them. And people are avoiding Gonzaga because they don't want to get beat by Gonzaga and have it hurt their resume for the tournament because we didn't, you know, we still didn't give them the credit that they deserved. So then t- 2002 rolls around and they're a six seed and we finally moved them up here, right? And they don't have that much of a different record than they did the year before when they were a 12 seed making the Sweet 16. Like they were getting under by the NCAA because again, they didn't want to make them eight seeds. So that's, you know, the Dukes of the world would have to play them in the second round so let's make them a 12 let's you know try to get them out of here and like the worst thing that can happen is maybe they're gonna knock off a you know they'll knock off a five then they'll knock off a four and then you know maybe they get to the second week and then they lose to a number one type team and that was working for them but you know eventually you you know when you're you know 11 and 3 13 and 1 13 and 1 in your conference and obviously you know 15 20 games above 500 you got to start bumping them up from a seeding standpoint so they bump them up to a six seed And what happens they lose and okay you know at this point we should probably talk about defining choking or underperforming relative to seeding so if you're a 10 through a 16 like what's your expectation the expectation is well you got to the tournament that's awesome and you probably should lose that first round game right eight nine like that could go either way so i don't know that you're saying like you obviously you shouldn't say you should lose that second that first round But if you do you do and sort of the ceiling by and large unless you're pulling some awesome upset over a one seed is to get knocked out in the second round if you are you know a four five six seven it's kind of the same thing right like win the first game beat the 13 seed if you're a four uh, beat a 10 if you're a seven you know and everything in between and you know if you do that okay great and then the next round you know you're probably going to lose. And so the second round is a pretty fair assessment for a four through nine team. Three seed, it's like, okay, three to you know, you're playing a 14, then you're playing either a six or eleven. We're gonna need you to make the sweet 16 to sort of consider this um, good enough. That's fine. And I would include ones and twos in the same region, if you will. Because they should make the regional final, right? That's the idea. As a one and two should make the regional final. But there's, good, there's so many good teams in college basketball, 350-some-odd college teams in college basketball. The idea that, okay, you're a two and you're a one, so like you, should, you know, the one should never lose to a two or it'd be ridiculous for a two to beat a one just doesn't make any sense because we're talking about the top eight teams in the country, right? Flip on the rankings or however you want to do it and show me the eighth best team in the, in the country and you go, okay, like that's a team that can make the final four. So whether you're a one seed, whether you're the one one, right? Whether you're the first number one, the expectation shouldn't be, oh, like you're definitely making the final, or if you don't make the final, like you're an embarrassment. It shouldn't even really be, like you have to make the final four, right? We see all the time, like one, two, one seeds, making it to the final four. So just get to the regional final and I'm fine with it. Now, if you make the regional final all the time and you lose every single time, what does that mean? Well, it means you're consistent enough to make the regional final every time, but it also means that you can't win the big one, right? Breakthrough on to the other side. And so, okay, like that's a different story, right? Like that's the Michael Jordan thing. Well, he won all six finals appearances. It's like, okay, but he played for, you know, 15 years. What happened in those others? Well, it's like he doesn't get, you know, any disregard because he, his teams didn't make the finals. And I'm not turning this into a whole Michael Jordan thing, but like, that's sort of, you know, the comp here. So anyway, they get to 2002, they're a six seed and they lose to round one. You go, okay, well, that's like a small down, right? Like if we were saying sort of plus, plus, plus for making the Sweet 16 as double digit seeds, like, and we're talking major pluses, we do have to give them sort of a minus one when it comes to losing in the first round as a six seed. They come back the next year as a nine seed, right? Eight, nine game could go either way. They win. Okay, back to another plus, right? Like better than we... I shouldn't say better than we expected, but sort of on the, on the plus side of expectations there. The next season, they finally sort of break through, and they're a two-seed. This is 2004, and they're a two-seed because, you know, 14-0 in the conference, 28-3 overall, and they lose in the second round, but... And this is where the benefit of hindsight is. And that's why we're having this conversation because these people have these hot takes about Gonzaga never being able to get through. And that's what we want to talk about here. When you're talking, when you're watching TV after selection Sunday, when you're talking to your buddies and they're like, well, I can't take Gonzaga because they never get it done. Like what's the reason they quote unquote never get it done? And so if the first example is a two seed in 2004 getting to round two and it's Adam Morrison as a freshman and Roni Turiaf are your two best players are we really roughing up Gonzaga now because freshman Adam Morrison and Rony Turiaf didn't get to the next round that seems a little ridiculous if you're asking me the next season they're a three seed they lose in the second round right same sort of deal right same team same result and so maybe it starts to creep in Oh, once we finally gave them a two and a three seed see what happens like they you know they screw it up it's like okay I guess and they come back and they get another three seed third year third year of the Adam Morrison era again 14 and 0 we're talking about sort of you know what 40 and, and 2 in their conference over the course of the three seasons that Adam Morrison was on the team they get to the sweet 16 they have a big lead in the second round as a three seed right so they have accomplished what they needed to accomplish relative to expectations they made the sweet 16 as a three seed that's all we've asked anybody to do who were a three seed and they have a big lead against UCLA and then it all falls apart. Now, again, hindsight being 2020, UCLA has Aaron Aflalo, Darren Collison, Luke Richard and Mute, all guys who had really good 10 plus year careers in the NBA. Gonzaga had Adam Morrison, not exactly a 10 plus year career. They had Roni Turioff, functional player for a little while, not exactly a 10 plus year career. And so you go, okay, like kind of makes a lot of sense that UCLA won that game. In the Sweet 16. And yeah, it's a, you know, two versus three type round situation. So, okay, dramatic, right? Adam Morrison's on the ground, he's crying, it's sort of the symbol of their failure in the tournament. But it wasn't really a failure, they got to where they were supposed to go in that season. The next season, they come back, they're a 10 seed, right? They get kicked back to that zone. They're 11 and three in the conference. They don't have that team, right? Morrison's gone. He's gone, you know, third overall in one of the worst drafts of all time. And, you know, the next year they're a 10 seed and they lose. Okay, completely reasonable rebuild season, if you will. Next year they come back and they're 13 and one in the conference, 25 and eight overall, and they lose as a seven seed in the first round. Now, again, seven seed, we talked about it. The expectation is to beat the 10. It's a successful season if you make the second round. They lose in the first round. They're not the first seven seed to lose to a 10, right? It's a pretty coin flippy type of a game uh, in that round. We see it all the time. Then the next season, they're getting it going again. 2008 9 season, they're a four seed. They make the Sweet 16 check mark right these are teams this is the team led by the likes of robert sacre and jeremy pargo but you know doing it well enough right they get the next year they're an eight seed they win the eight nine game completely reasonable fair enough right they lose the next day to a one seed that's totally fine uh 10 you know 2011 they are an 11 seed what happens they win They are the 11 that knocks off the six, right? The narrative of course is can't mess with Gonzaga where when they're an 11 seed, like of course I'm sure everybody in their dog had them to advance against the six seed that year. Very next season, they're a seven seed. They win that game to make the sweet, uh, excuse me, to make the round of 32 second round, right? They are accomplishing what we asked them to accomplish. Four seed, sweet 16, eight seed, second round, Uh, 11 seed, upset, second round, Uh, seven seed, beat the 10 seed second round they are doing what we ask of them in 2013 they finally break through in a really big way 16 and 0 in the conference 32 and 3 overall and they are finally a one seed and now gonzaga has arrived as part of this collection of i don't want to say blue bloods but like the teams that are around every single year and they're a big time one seed here we go let's see what they can do as a one seed and what happens they get to the second round and they face a team, not a major conference team, you know, sort of an 8-9 where you're like, okay, like they were fourth in the ACC. No, they face a team from the Missouri Valley Conference called Wichita State. And they lose. They take, a, you know, they're leading in the, second ra- or in the second half, and Wichita State reels off three straight three-pointers to take the lead and, quote-unquote, never look back. And you go, oh my God, see, we gave Gonzaga one seed and they blew it to Wichita State. Like, Wichita? Like, come on. Well, little do we know, but again, years of hindsight, and we should, you know, have our opinions change or reframed by what subsequently happens. But what we don't know is that Wichita State has a couple of guys. One, Fred Van Fleet, who goes on to win an NBA title, who is a key, if not, you know, not named Kawhi Leonard the most valuable player on the Raptors that series or even that playoffs and Klee Anthony Early who gets drafted in the first round Ron Baker who plays a little in the NBA as well and those guys were on the bench for that team because Wichita State had so many senior players that the starters were like weren't even their best players those three guys Early Baker and Van Fleet scored all most of the points in that game, and that was a sort of portent of things to come, because Wichita ate the very next season, again the benefit of hindsight, they go undefeated, and they are the one seed. So Gonzaga, as a one seed, got sidled saddled with a team as an eight nine who was going to be a one seed in the future. Now, the committee doesn't know that, and I'm sure at the time we were probably saying, you know, Wichita State is much better than an 8 9 seed. And of course, everybody was probably saying, I've never heard of Wichita State. And it's the same deal that Gonzaga was 15 years before that, where I've never heard of Gonzaga. I don't even know this team. Well, guess what? It's this program, right, that's getting rolling here. And Wichita State goes and ends up being the one seed, and then they get, of course, saddled with an incredible Kentucky team uh, you know, who was an eight seed that year in a classic Calipari, like loaded team full of guys who were going to the NBA and didn't play particularly well to start the season, didn't quote unquote mesh. And then they get Wichita state and they beat Wichita state in one of the great basketball games in college history in a two point game. But I digress. Point is, is that Wichita state team was really, really good. We just didn't know it until a year later. And, 8 years later we're still somehow docking Gonzaga as a program because they lost to a Wichita State team that went undefeated into the tournament the very next year so like does that make a ton of sense to you because it doesn't make a ton of sense to me the very next season right like they have a lot of you know those guys leave the program we're talking about Kelly Olynyk and Kevin Pangos by the way so again when you're talking about talent level we're not talking about guys who were going in the first round of the, of the NBA draft and having, you know, long Hall of Fame careers. I mean, Kelly Olynyk's hung around uh, in kind of an incredible way here for, what, we're talking eight years now. But, you know, we're not talking about legends here. And so the idea is, like, they're always overachieving, except for when they end up playing a team that good. So the next season of 2014, they're an eight seed. What happens? They win the 8-9 game right like more often than not and i'm talking like 75 percent of the time when they're in the eight nine seven ten type zone that coin flip type area they've won those games they have overachieved relative to the quality of the team 2015 the team's back again here we've rebuilt we are 17 and one we are a two seed and we make the regional final right totally fine by me right like that's the expectation now they didn't make the final four but they weren't expected to make the final four the final four is always a bonus whether you are a one seed or the number one one seed or whatever the final four is the bonus that's why it's the final four like it's the accomplishment now can you win a national title well we're talking about two games in three nights and just see where the chips fall but the accomplishment accomplishment is making the final four the banner is making the final four so they come up just short in 2015 as a two seed you know all those guys leave 2016 they're an 11 seed guess what they make the sweet 16 as an 11 seed is that a disappointment i don't think so doesn't feel like a disappointment come ask any 11 seed if they're would be psyched this year if they make the Sweet 16. I guarantee you, every single one of them will be thrilled that they just won one game, let alone two. And that rolls us around to 2017. They're back again, 17-1 in the conference, 37-2 overall, and they are a one seed. And they go to the national championship game. So again, if regional final is good enough for a one seed, if even the final four, if your expectations are final four, They're even better than that. They go to the final. I was in the building that night in Arizona in one of the biggest atrocities of refereeing I've ever seen in my life. And whether it was fouling out Zach Collins, who outside of Adam Morrison is the highest drafted player that Gonzaga has ever had. Uh, I believe he was 10th overall, but I could be wrong about that. And they make the final and they play North Carolina and, you know, Collins, they foul Collins out early. I was there, it was like a targeted attack on Collins. And if the case for not wanting, you know, not wanting to pick Gonzaga to win the title is the NCAA would never allow it, I can actually kind of get behind it. Because I saw that at first hand. And, you know, kudos to North Carolina for winning the tournament. But North Carolina against Gonzaga was always going to be an eight on five game. And I was up in the top deck watching that game and I stood up and I pointed to you know, the North Carolina player who was on the, on the baseline when he had the ball that should have given Gonzaga the ball back when they were down one, two points, can't remember what it was. But they didn't make that call and Gonzaga loses that game. And is that a negative because they lost the final of the NCAA tournament? Like that seems a little insane to me. Collins ends up getting drafted. Shemek Karnowski leaves. Uh, I believe that was the end of the Williams-Goss era. They come back the next year, and they're a four seed, right? And again, what's the expectation of a four seed? Well, we expect you to win the 13 game. Then, you know what? It'd be impressive if you won the fifth, you know, the five seed game. Just get into the Sweet 16. We would be actually really impressed. Sure enough, that's exactly what they do. And they make the Sweet 16 the year after being the national runner-up. Following year, 2019, An elite eight as a one seed, right? Regional final as a one seed. Again, two regional finals in the last five years that they lose, one that they win, but they go all the way to the finals. Like, I think you would take that. I think there's a lot of teams in the country that would take that. I think Duke would take that. I think North Carolina would take that is what it is though they go to the regional final they lose to texas tech a team that goes to overtime in the national championship game like the idea that there's only one team that should win this that like it was virginia's to win the whole way when they almost lost a handful of times it could have been auburn it could have been purdue that year it could have been texas tech and it certainly could have been gonzaga but of those five six seven teams only one of them can actually win And it didn't work out for them because, you know, those other teams happened to be really, really good. And in the case of Texas Tech, they just had a really, really good game from a really, really good team. And that's just the thing that's going to happen. But again, the program gets a lot better. You know, Brandon Clark, uh, Rui Hachimura, like these guys are going in the first round. And it's like, that feels a lot different than Adam Morrison, it feels a lot different than, you know, Kelly Olynyk and Kevin Pangos and Robert Sacre and Jeremy Pargo. And nothing against those guys, but to me, the, the success of those teams have more to do with Mark Few than being a loaded roster type of a team. But here's the thing. Whether it was two years ago making that regional final, whether it was four years ago making that national final with guys who would go on to go to the NBA... And obviously, having a really good team last year 31 and 2, 15 and 1. COVID hits, and we never know, right? Alternative, non COVID universe. Maybe Gonzaga wins the title last year. We obviously had a handful of really good teams. San Diego State was going to be a one seed. Kansas was going to be the favorite. Uh, You had obviously Dayton and OB Toppin. It wasn't going to be easy. They were probably looking at a two seed, maybe the fourth number one seed. But again, we don't get to know what one of the best teams in Gonzaga history was going to be able to do in a run where it's been elite eight, sweet 16, runner up, sweet 16, elite eight, and then postseason not held. So the idea that this version of Mark Few really good coach and really good players are just something that you should avoid altogether for this season doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And if you're saying that Gonzaga never gets it done and that's not why, you know, that's why you're not picking them. Or why you have, you're, you, oh, I've got them going out in the Sweet 16 or whatever. If you're saying they choke, here's who you're blaming. You're blaming Adam Morrison. You're blaming Kelly Olenek, and you're blaming some shoddy referees against North Carolina. Because frankly, other than that, and I'm even including the referee thing with North Carolina as though that was some sort of disappointment in getting to the national championship. But other than that, it hasn't been disappointing. Maybe you want them to get to the Final Four every year, but nobody does that. And so if you're blaming all of those guys, what does that have to do with Jalen Suggs? The best the highest ranked recruit this school has ever had and if it wasn't for Adam Morrison getting drafted third overall in the worst draft of all time where Andrea Bargnani went number one overall and still nobody really has that much of a complaint with it because the draft was so bad other than him and maybe even Jalen Suggs goes in the top two by the way after this tournament but they might have the best player they've ever had on that team They might have another guy in the same draft, Corey Kispert, who right now, just looking over at ESPN, is the seventh-ranked prospect for this upcoming draft. They might have two guys going in the top ten. Has Gonzaga ever had that before? They certainly haven't. And here's the other messed-up thing. Those two guys are arguably not even the best two players on the team. Maybe they're the best pro prospects, but they're not even the best player from a production standpoint on the team. Drew Timmy is and throw in andrew namhart and joel a. I i don't know that you're blaming those guys for what happened with adam morrison or what happened with kelly olenek and pang and the pangos of the world like that just doesn't make a ton of sense to me so when people are telling you oh they can't do this they can't do that i just want you to remember the conversation that we've had here today and the understanding that it's not that cut and dry in fact they actually might still be underrated. And when you have an opportunity to take an underrated team who might be the best team in the country, you might want to do that. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that. We have to see where the bracket goes. Just something to think about. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. All right, let's do a little hockey here for Wednesday, March 10th. Last night, ugh, so close to a monster, monster night. So let's do a quick recap of that started with winnipeg plus 165 little dicey in the second period they're down two to one uh but winnipeg does what winnipeg does and they get a couple of goals in the second take a third three two lead and they hang on with the whole empty net situation and cash for us at plus 165 meanwhile we've got a couple other big underdogs and let's be honest at this point you know sort of squaring these off right i've got nashville plus 190 and, and excuse me winnipeg plus 165 and frankly i'm hoping you know what? let's just get one of these two home i think we can end up getting there with one of these two and winnipeg wins and nashville takes a two nothing lead and you're like okay maybe we can sort of pull this off and then nashville starts going to the penalty box and listen i can't necessarily argue against what you know the penalties and like oh bad call or whatever whatever but really frustrating when Carolina gets back into the game with a power play goal and then a five on three power play goal and all of a sudden it's 2-2 and you're just sort of like god like what happened here and that game ends up going to overtime meanwhile what's happening over in Detroit and we're at plus 290 with Detroit and they take a 2-1 lead and then they take a 3-2 lead I believe and then it ends up tied 3-3 and we go to overtime and now we've got nashville in overtime and then we've got detroit in overtime i've got a plus 190 in overtime we got a plus 290 in overtime and of course what happens both favorites massive favorites who again we talk about all the time if you're going to three on three overtime and then you know potentially the shootout would you rather be on plus 190 or minus 230 would you rather be on plus 290 or minus 330 kind of a no-brainer so we're in a really good spot again if we could just get one of these two overtime situations here that would be great and of course we get neither and the Nashville one was putrid if you watched it we had a wide open empty net nice move to get open to beat the goaltender and he slides it through the crease out the back side missing the entire net I gasped To the point where my partner Emily comes in and she's like, what happened? And then she sees the replay and then she gasps. And (laughs) she's like, oh, I I totally understand why you gasped. That was horrific. Um, And then, of course, like the one chance. Honest to God, the one chance. Even after another separate post situation for the Predators. The one chance Carolina gets, they go down and score the overtime goal. And so, great, grand, wonderful. And then we go over to Detroit and Tampa and we go, I guess we're getting weird again in uh, in another overtime and of course tampa bay scores in the overtime and we're sitting there holding the bag going i can't believe neither of those won of course both had leads um one a two goal lead which again from an early payout standpoint nashville just scores one more goal we don't have to worry about any of this type of stuff um and detroit again who had multiple leads throughout the game um so again, frustrating. And the good news is the best bet of the night. Um Dallas gets there incredibly easily, never a sweat even through one period against Chicago. They end up winning what 6 to 1, something along those lines. Uh stop paying attention. Um even before the third cuz it was such a blowout. So we end up getting in there with a plus 165. We get there with a one uniter on uh Dallas, but again, we lose a unit on nashville and uh and i had it down for sort of 0.6 of a unit we talked about you know at plus 290 whether you wanted to go half unit three quarter unit whatever so it ends up being a profitable night in hockey along with basketball so again fundamentally you can't complain about that but when you're sitting there going like you know relatively easy win with the jets uh obviously sweaty at the end with the goalie pulled but you know still not not having to deal with overtime And a super easy win with Dallas, and then two big underdogs dying in overtime. You're really bummed out about that. Um, As for tonight, two games in the North. uh, Wrote previews for them both on the Action Network. Um, One is a legitimate play, the other one's going to be one that we're going to have to keep an eye on to decide how we're going to bet that because, again, it's the NHL and we need to know what's going on with goaltending and all of that kind of garbage. Um, so in the first one Ottawa back to the well with them Um, and you know we talk a lot about sort of worrying about Ottawa in the first 10 minutes and Matt Murray is he you know is he feeling it um, or what Edmonton's given up the first goal in their last five games uh, gave up a goal in the first minute to Ottawa the other night they weren't able to sort of sustain anything the Senators because you know for me I think that was sort of obviously a bad scheduling spot having to play the second day on uh, on a back-to-back where Edmonton didn't, and even then, 3-2 game, like, you know, fully respectable in a lot of ways for Ottawa, but again, we're getting plus 200, and I'll reference back to the last time these two teams met early on, uh, I believe it was late January in Edmonton, where, you know, Ottawa got beat up by their own goaltending and they were the much better team five on five as far as like creating scoring chances but it didn't really matter because they're you know Edmonton scored I think they scored eight seconds in in one game uh and then pretty early on with some soft goals on Marcus Hogberg of course he's nowhere to be found at this point and I think maybe he's lost his backup job to Decord who I think was really good again yesterday for the Senators and uh So it's not a situation where it's like, okay, let's wait and see how Murray's going to do, which saved us a unit last week against Calgary where we could kind of sniff out that he wasn't going to play particularly well. And so um, for me here, I'm fine at plus 200 because, again, like I mentioned, the price was like plus 180 back when, uh, you know, Ottawa visited Edmonton last, and that was an Ottawa team That was a mess from a goaltending standpoint. And they have improved a great deal. Obviously, Matt Murray's gotten a little, you know, more locked in and all of that sort of thing. And now the price is somehow higher. Like, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So Ottawa plus 200 is worth a shot. Obviously, it's plus 200. So the expectation is that it's going to lose. But fingers crossed, right? That was the expectation yesterday. And we had two big underdogs get at least to overtime and the other relatively, relatively big underdog. Um, win outright. So uh, as far as Vancouver and Montreal, which is the other consideration. So again, preview on the Action Network if you want to get a little deeper into the analytics and everything with this game. Um, Fundamentally, uh, Thatcher Demko has taken the reins here. As the starting goaltender, he's, excuse me, he has improved his goal saved above average, which is sort of my favorite key metric. Um, You know, what are you doing above average? You know, to help your team, he's improved from like a minus two and a half goals to over five uh, on the positive side. So that's all essentially happened in the last four or five games where he's won four straight, uh, and frankly played in it, excuse me, played and well enough to win, um, in that first game before the, uh, the winning streak. So if he plays and Elias Patterson doesn't, then I think... The under has to be the play because what's happened here with Pedersen out is that Vancouver has tightened it up defensively, given up only you know six, seven, I think it's six, seven, and seven in the last three games from a high danger chance perspective, even strength. And so, you know, listen, Montreal is not exactly lighting it up, right? That was a pretty big outlier performance against Winnipeg on Saturday. So I think the under is a pretty good play. It doesn't really matter from a goaltending standpoint for Montreal because, again, without Pedersen, Vancouver's offense is pretty stagnant as well and I don't know that there's a ton of difference between Jake Allen and uh, Carey Price at this point that being said if Holtby gets the start and he's getting to the point where it's like he's kind of due I know that Vancouver has a little bit of a break here coming up so I think we're going to see Demko so the under is probably going to be the play here under six is the number that we're looking for here but if Holtby happens to play and the number doesn't get adjusted beyond sort of a minus 150, minus 155 type area, I think Montreal then has to become the play because now you're looking at a team in Vancouver who's not getting a ton of offense and whose goaltending has a pretty massive discrepancy between Demco and Holtby. So those are the plays. Keep an eye out for that. Um, that'll be put into the Action Network app um, as their bet. Uh, best of luck to everybody today um hope you enjoyed this podcast tomorrow uh thursday friday we're getting you know way more basketball games so we're going to get deep into those obviously the more games there are the more games there are to handicap you know going forward and more games there are to look back on we'll try to get this out early enough so that you're getting the podcast out by 11 for the games that are starting at noon sort of had to do a take two on this one because it didn't record the first time halfway through That was kind of frustrating that's why my voice is absolute garbage at this point um but it is what it is as per usual subscribe rate review and share the podcast follow along at mrusAuthentic on twitter we'll tweet out as much as i can over the course of the next few days until tomorrow i'll see you at the window